Hello and welcome to the Recon Ride. I'm Dane Cash. And I'm Cosmo Catalano. And uh, we decided we should probably get together, record a podcast. Uh, we heard something about a, a big race coming up here. Yeah, yeah. I noticed a lot of people who don't normally care about cycling have been caring about cycling. Ooh, it's that and time of like, year. I was like, is this an Olympic year? But then I realized it was uh, it was the Tour de France. Yeah, it's just July. It's just that's when the, those things happen. You start reading about it in newspapers of note, and instead of just you know the one or two cycling only outlets uh, still left in the world, people, uh, people start asking you about the. They want a road race bike, but they want it to be good on roads. Maybe do some triathlon and commuting. And they you want know, it to cost you $700. might need something like that for this year's tour for, for <laughs> reasons we can get to here in a little bit. Oh, preview, uh, like a little foreshadow. <laughs> We're celebrating 100 years of the yellow jersey this year uh, at the Tour de France, which is pretty cool. Also, there's a sort of side celebration of Eddie Merckx, 50 years since his first tour win. His first, and he won everything. Like, he won – okay, he didn't win every stage. But I believe he won all of the jerseys and like nine stages or something ridiculous. He did Eddie Merck's things. Yeah, he he. This this was like the foundation on which his legend is based. So yeah, race is starting in Belgium this year. That's that's very cool. Ooh yeah, little little loop de loop in Brussels. Yeah, uh, the field very interesting. Just the general GC situation is going to be interesting. Sprinter situation interesting as well. The route itself has some cool, compelling storylines. Going on, lots to be excited about here. Uh, the, the, the GC picture, the four-time champ, gone. Last year's runner-up, gone. Uh, fourth place, not racing because he did the Giro and doesn't feel like it. Uh, sprinting situation, similar. Like the, the, the big guys we've talked about for the last several years. Uh, Marcel Kittle, Mark Cavendish, not here. Andre Greipel, here but old and not great anymore. Here almost solely in spirit. Yeah, uh, I, I would love to see him kind of step up but i don't really expect that to happen he hasn't really done that yet this year so there's both in the, in the gc and the sprinting situation there's this sort of there's opportunities there's there's a chance for some new guys to step up and take the lead let's talk a little bit more about the route itself here and then we can get into the contenders So the 2019 Tour de France, we're going to start with a sort of general stage overview. If you don't listen to this show or have listened to the show in the past, we we like to break down the rough highlights of the of the race, and then we'll get into stage by stage picks at the very end, uh, and we'll come back for a second and third show and do the same thing where we'll kind of look at the state of the race, maybe update our our overall predictions, and then break down stage by stage who we like to win uh, over the next you know, block of racing. So this year, kind of interestingly enough, the first quote unquote week is quite a lot more than just a, a week. Yeah, we have 10 days of racing nonstop. Uh, granted, one of them is relatively, is a team time trial, which is less time on the bike, but it's still maximum effort. Um, you have really only one like super brutal ish looking mountain day, but you have that constant awareness that's just going to chew these guys up with no respite until Tuesday after the race starts. Yeah, that's actually going to be an interesting point. I think with with uh, not a lot of races going this long before having a rest day, um, I'm wondering if that actually has an effect on the actual GC battle. I mean, if there are guys who really start to feel that fatigue, especially because we do have some interesting stages in the first 10 days, 
the TTT also pretty key. It's we're going to have kind of an early pecking order, and and so something to keep in mind. And then, uh, boy, stage six looks like a really interesting one. It's going to be the first real big GC battle. Uh, not high altitude, but you know, La Planche de Belfi, the finishing climb, has been a site of GC fireworks before, and they've added to it this year. They're really staying on trend, really embracing the 21st century cycling industry here by putting a gravel finale to La Planche de Belfi. So if the climb wasn't already hard enough, now you have to go over the gravel uh, for a little while at the end. I, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. The Vosges Mountains are you know they're they're hard mountains, but they're not these big colossal things. Uh, they're very kind of New Englandy. They're glaciated. They're tree filled, and uh, you, you kind of look at the previous finishes on Planche de Belfi, and there you you do have the GC broken up, but usually not by that much. You know you've got the top twenty some odd guys within a minute or two. I mean, if you look at the first time they hit it, I believe uh, Fabian Conchalara tried a tried an early attack and finished like twenty third or something. Not your typical mountain guy. Um, they've done, they've kind of had two approaches. One where they kind of, there's one or two small climbs and then they go straight into, to Belfi. And another where they kind of work their way through the mountains and it's what we have this year, but there's a series of climbs just one after another. And I'm thinking maybe that might neutralize, uh, the field a little bit here because people are coming into these steep gravel finishes that they don't know that much about. I think you might see a lot of people kind of looking out, maybe one of those finishes where you've got a break kind of, fighting against each other, and then GC guys marking and trying to take time if they're feeling great. Yep, and then, you know, after stage six, there are still four days to go. So, yeah, I, I think this might really be too much for one or two guys who just aren't used to it, uh, and, and that's going to be an, an interesting thing to take into account here. There are plenty of sprint stages thrown into this first 10 days, so it's not like it's straight into the Alps, but it will be pretty tough. So after the first 10 stages, there is a finally a rest day on July 16th, Week two, pretty interesting. Uh, five days only, uh, but features three, maybe four even potential days for the GC. Uh, the, the big two, stage 13 is the only individual time trial in this race. 27.2k, pretty flat. There are some rolling hills, but it is a, it is a time trialist's time trial course. And the big thing for me about this individual time trial is that I think it could be a deciding factor for Team Ineos. Uh, they're going to have two GC leaders. We're going to get to that in a second, but one of them a significantly better time trialer than the other. And uh, this could be a, a point in the race where he establishes himself as the clear leader. I, I'm not sure that that won't have happened already based on the mountains before this, but uh could be interesting here. It could be a chance for that guy, Gary Thomas, or for a guy like Richie Porte to take some big time on his rivals. Uh, stage 14, which follows stage 13, though, also very interesting. Climbs the Tourmalet. That's a hard one. And 19 kilometers at over 7%. So there's going to be a, a period here in the second week that could have some big GC changes. Um, finally, you get to that next rest day, July 22nd. July 23rd, a pretty easy stage. 17, the stage after that, gets a little bit harder. And then it's just really hard. Three stages in a row, 18, 19, 20. That's the finale. As usual, it's going to be a really, really interesting uh, GC-oriented three stages. A lot of them, the big storyline for me, high altitude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, high altitude after two and a half weeks of racing the Tour de France. We're getting over 2,000 meters for a lot of these climbs. Highest point in the race, the Col de Luzeron. It's uh, stage 19, gets up to... 
2,720 meters. It's, it's quite a mountain. And, uh, yeah, because we've been at sea, we've been so far above sea level for, uh, you know, already a few stages, that altitude could really affect guys. And in addition to the fact that they're just going to be climbing and climbing and climbing. And that could be another point where some guys could really establish themselves, uh, make the difference on their rivals. Uh, stage 20, the, the last mountain stage, features a really, really long finishing climb to Val Thorens. It's not that steep, 5.5% average grade, but it's 33.4 kilometers of climbing. And again, having been at altitude, that really long slog is just going to, it's going to be interesting. It, it could be really interesting or it could be really boring. It really depends on the GC, I think. I, that, that's a good point. This is the sort of climb where you could see just a power uh, Ineos train. I was about to say Sky. I'm amazed I haven't done that yet. Uh, <laughs> hitting at the front and kind of stifling the racing. But I just don't see there being the same level of uh, race stifling as we've seen in years past. I think because of the field. Uh, yeah, maybe I'm, maybe I'm being a little too optimistic here. I guess we'll find out. Um, and then, of course, the race ends with the Champs-Élysées sprinter finale. Let's talk about these contenders. We've brought a, cu- a couple of them up so far, and they're really going to make this race. Uh, yeah, let's talk overall favorites and then maybe get into some of the guys we like for the stages. So the start list for this Tour de France, uh, typical caveat here, it's provisional, but fortunately for the Tour de France by this point, there's not a lot of provisional left by the time we have this show coming out. We pretty much know who's going to be at the race. Uh, The GC field is quite intriguing this year. As mentioned, we are lacking Chris Froome. We are lacking Tom Dumoulin. Primoz Roglic decided to skip the race. It's a pretty open Tour de France. It's it's more open than we're used to uh, because of the missing stars. Uh, interestingly enough, or maybe not, uh, Ineos still has the two biggest favorites for the race on the same team. That's going to be a pretty interesting thing in and of itself, though. Just who is this team leader? Uh, Egan Bernal, a guy who is sort of seen as one of the most promising riders in the sport. Gary Thomas, defending champion. And one of them has had a great season, and it's not the guy who's the defending champion. And that's <laughs> that's what makes this so interesting, is that Thomas has not had the season that he would have expected. He did crash out of the Tour de Suisse recently. Egan Bernal, on the other hand, won the Tour de Suisse, and he won Paranese as well. So heading into the race, you have the hot rider who doesn't have quite the experience and the proven champion who isn't so hot. So the team has, interestingly enough package this as a co-leaders situation and that's kind of surprising for this team because for so long they've kind of rallied around one guy uh and i wonder what it means maybe it means nothing at all could be all head games uh or maybe they're preparing for Egan bernal to really uh, shine in this race and for thomas to maybe take a back seat yeah i mean thomas is i think one of the reasons they maybe avoided co-leaders is because Froome and wiggins were not good at being teammates. Whereas I think Garen Thomas is a guy who is he's absolutely on the team playbook. You know, he won last year's Tour de France, hands down, was the stronger of the two. Um and I think Froome, you know, was was willing to accept that and 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 live with it. But uh, to me, you know, if they had said, hey, 
we want Froome to win, Thomas would have been like, okay, cool. Uh, you know, let me, let me see what I can do. Um, and he's a, I, I think he is a guy who is, is going to, I think we'll see him doing a lot of setup work. I think we'll see him riding as if Bernal is the leader from the start. But uh, it's just, you know, it's just kind of a hunch about how he's ridden kind of all the races he's done well at in the past. Yeah, and they're both different riders. I mean, Gary Thomas is an excellent time trialist, a power guy. He does have some punch. Uh, Bernal seen as one of the world's best climbers of the moment. Uh, Pretty good downhill, too. He's Yeah, he's quite a bike handler. Uh, he has crashed a number of times in his early career, but he also has a mountain biking background. We saw his incredible bike handling skills in the time trial at the Tour de Suisse. Uh, yeah, he, he's a I think he's a more versatile guy than people give him credit for. He's not just a climber. Uh, he also has a decent time trial. Yeah. So and he, he hung in great in some crosswinds at uh, Perry Nice. Uh, great, great team support too. But he, you know, he was in a position where he could have very easily screwed up, and he did not. So something to that. Speaking of team support, Ineos's rivals are going to have their hands full as usual. Wout Pools, Mikov Kwiatkowski, etc. Uh, I think. Thomas versus Bernal might be the most interesting storyline because one of those two guys seems favored over the rest of the field. Uh, but there is a field of contenders. It's not just those guys. There are also a few other riders coming in here that look like they could have a chance against, again, uh, a guy who isn't quite having the best year. And Bernal, who he has no experience, really. This is only his second Grand Tour. He's never finished in the top 10 of a Grand Tour. So maybe it's not such a foregone conclusion. There are a couple of other guys here who maybe have a chance. Yeah, and top of that list is is Jakob Fulsong, who's just been having a great year. This guy has always been in the conversation with kind of hilly one days, longer stage races, mountain stages. But he has just been on fire. You know, in these moves, him and Alaphilippe really put on a great show this spring. We finally saw Fulsong bring it home at, at uh, Liège. And then we have, you know, a guy who is he's kind of up there in some of the spring tune-up races and then comes away with the win at Criterium Dauphiné. Like, he's this is a guy who's got a good team behind him and is showing great results. Like, this may be peak Jakob Fulsong showing up just at the right moment with this kind of disrupted GC field. All right, I want to go on the record here just to register my my feeling towards Jakob Fulsong as a GC contender. I really like Jakob Fulsong, and I've rooted for him to succeed because he's been one of these guys who's been knocking on the door for so long. But, um, yeah, let it be known I'm kind of meh on his GC chances here. I think he's been – he's had so many opportunities over the years to lead a GC campaign for his Astana team and just hasn't lived up to it. So this is a big moment for him. It's a lot of pressure. I think he's being touted as a – as a GC guy more than ever before uh, at age 34. And while he has showed a lot this year, I just wonder if the three-week race is his thing. Uh, I would be gladly proven wrong. I just don't know if he could do it. But he, because of this crazy open field this year, is you know the th third shortest odds with most bookies, which is crazy. And yet, it makes sense. All right, moving on down the list. Richie Port, another guy who hasn't quite had the three-week success many would have expected considering his general package of abilities. But uh, he's also a guy who kind of manages to find bad luck. Like, we haven't really seen him have a chance I think to get that's to the a, third week of some Grand Tours. I think that's that's putting it lightly. Yeah, he he's managed to crash or get sick at pretty much every Tour de France uh, attempt he has. He has made over the last couple of years, uh, pretty spectacularly the last two years, uh, just a crazy bad crash, uh, two years ago. And then last year with, 
with all of this talk coming into the race about, yeah, he looks so good, but by this point, people were already talking about the fact that he could never seem to put it all together. Then he crashes out on the Roubaix stage before the race hit the cobbles. Just a lot of things uh, for Richie Port uh, year after year, it seems. But yeah, as we always say, the talent, you know, it seems like there's only one or two riders in the world who seem to have as strong a time trial and climbing package as Richie Port. He just never seems to be able to put it together. Uh, he has changed teams. He's riding for Trek Segafredo this year. He hasn't quite had the, the year that Maybe he would have hoped. Uh, he looked okay at the Tour of California, okay at the Cadrame du Dauphin. He just doesn't have any, you know, marquee huge results to hang his hat on yet this year. But he's a veteran. He's a guy who maybe doesn't need to to prove in the one week races that he's in shape. Uh, and he will have a, a nice team around. Balka Molum is going to be there for him, as will Tom Scoich, who was kind enough to chat with me the other day uh, for the podcast to give us his take on this race, what it's like riding with Richie Port, uh, what it's like being a, an aggressive breakaway kind of rider in in a race where, yeah, pretty much everybody wants to win a stage. Uh, let's hear from Tom Scoinch. Tom, first off, thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate it in your, in your pre-tour week here. Um, heading into the, the race, Trek Segafredo is is all in for, for Richie Port, and I'm just kind of curious, first off, what's it been like working with him, getting to know him as a as a teammate, and what's he been like as a as a leader? Yeah, uh, we the first race I did with Richie actually was Cali, and uh, since then we've done Dauphiné together as well. Um, and obviously, we had a nice training camp in Isola. Um, had some good rides, had some TTT efforts there uh, with him. And I mean, he's uh, he's pretty relaxed. He uh, doesn't stress too much about things, and uh, he is a cool dude to ride for just because he appreciates the work we do. We, he, he, when we do our best, he sees that, and uh, he acknowledges it. Uh, and, yeah, it's always, uh, always interesting off the bike as well just because he has some good stories here and there. Um, so, yeah, it's a, yeah he's, a, he's a good guy. Uh, just a very easygoing guy. So it's uh, it's always nice to have someone that doesn't overstress and overthink it. With the team kind of being all in for one guy, one one GC guy, does that uh, impact your prep, your build up, your training? Does it change anything? I mean, last year we were also around a GC guy, so it was also similar thing um definitely the training is a little bit different heading into the tour than other races uh just because you got to get ready for the long climbs which obviously we're going to have a lot this year uh but other than that you're just actually getting ready for the race because it doesn't really matter if you're riding for a gc guy or um riding for a result depending on the race you need to be ready to like even if you're in the break, you need to be ready for the long climbs. Or if it's not the tour, if it's shorter climbs, then you need to be ready for those. If you are racing for a GC guy or not, so it uh, more more depends on the the type of race you're doing and not uh, the type of role you will be in. Uh, what do you what do you personally make of the tour route this year? Maybe in comparison to you did the tour last year, you did the Vuelta. I mean, how does this kind of compare from what you've seen so far? I mean, I think everyone said that it's a lot more climbing and that's why you can look at our team and we are bringing a lot of climbers and 
uh, not that many guys for the flats because uh, it is more climbing. It's going to be some hard days. Uh, I think there's also more possibilities just because of the hard days. There's more possibilities for uh, some surprises. Maybe a GC rider giving up the like in the like we saw in the Giro giving up uh, the jersey just because. Um, they can save some energy and not ride the front, save the team. Um, but at the same time, it really depends on how the race plays out, whether or not that happens. But yeah, without the cobble stage, with the first uh, 10 days being consecutive and no rest days, that's also something a lot of people haven't done. Um, so it's a longer stretch than last year where it was nine days. Sure, it's just one day, but uh, still, it uh, it can make a difference. Um, and yeah, just the climbing will be, well, I think there's going to be less sprints, which means less sprints means, uh, usually more exciting racing. However, uh, when people are too scared, uh, to make moves just because they know there's so much climbing coming, um, then obviously that can have the opposite effect. Um, but it's the tour. So people, people are ready to, um, especially in the breakaways, uh, risk for glory. So I'm hoping I'm hoping it is uh, an exciting one. Oh, you teed me up so perfectly for my next question. So thank you. Uh, breakaways. You're a breakaway guy. You've you've gotten to a lot of breakaways over the years. Some of your big career results have come from them. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, especially with a race like the Tour, where uh, the fight to get into that breakaways is so intense every day because everybody wants to get that Tour de France stage win. Uh, how much planning goes into the breakaway, uh, the breakaway days, and how much of that's just kind of feel day of when you're out on the road? Uh, it's I think it's everything, a little bit of everything. Like before the tour, you can see, you can kind of visualize how it's going to play out. So you circle some days or fold the pages on the road book or whatever, and uh, you kind of mark them down. But depending on where you are in the race, uh, if you're too close to GC in the first week, it might not be wise to still go in the breakaway because you're not going to get enough time to stay away. Um, and, uh, yeah, obviously you can, if you know, there's a good day coming for you, uh, a few days out and you see how the race has been developing and say there's two massive mountain days where GC guys are going to be fighting and, um, you just do your job and then you kind of pack it in and take it easy to the line or say, if there's a TT, you can always ease up on the TT and, um, wait for, uh, wait for the chance that actually you can get a result in. And do you think you'll have one or two chances for yourself maybe to, to try something in the breakaway type stages or is that still kind of TBD? No, I think, I think, uh, there's enough days. 21 is a fair number that uh, I will have uh, one or two days where the team gives me the green light. But obviously it's also capitalizing on those days because uh, even though I might have the brain for uh, getting in the breaks and uh, maybe I'm good at better at reading the race than some others, but it's still at the end of the day, you have to have the legs to get in there. So, uh, I'm obviously I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the challenge of uh, trying to go for a stage win, trying to go for a stage result. 
uh, and I'll do my best uh, whenever the team allows me to. But there's just a lot of variables, so I'm not. Uh, let's say I'm not putting too much pressure on uh, day number three or day number X. You know. So you you recently won the Latvian National Road Championship. Congratulations, by the way. How big of a deal is it for you uh, to be able to wear that that jersey heading into the biggest race in the world? Yeah, I mean, the the best thing is just that uh, I get to wear it at the Tour. Uh, it's been a really long time since uh, the Latvian's jersey has been at the Tour. Uh, even last year, was it had been a couple of years since the Latvian had been at the Tour, uh, not to mention the jersey. So, uh, super stoked on that. Uh, but, yeah, obviously having, having the Latvian colors uh, – on my jersey and people be able being able to pick me out uh um on tv a bit easier it makes it uh makes it special and uh i'm i'm proud of where i'm from i'm proud to be latvian and uh i'm i'm just hoping to have enough uh good results in this year that uh yeah i have uh have done the jersey proud so you're coming off the the Dauphiné as well. You just did the Criterium de Dauphiné. A lot of big names also at the Dauphiné. I'm I'm curious if you're able to put your uh, your analyst hat on uh, and just kind of share any thoughts. Anybody you saw at the race that uh, really impressed you or that you think's got to come out of the Dauphiné in great form ahead of the Tour de France that, that we should know about? Well, I mean, uh, I keep saying I'm mean actually, which annoys me, but I notice it only when I say it. Anyways. <laughs> um. At the Dauphiné, I already noticed that maybe he won't be a GC rider. However, I don't know. Maybe he'll try and go for GC. Uh, but Warren Bargill is looking real good this year. And that was the national champs were just a confirmation of that, just because he he's not on a team that has 27 French riders. I mean, they still have like 20. but uh, or Well, not really, but like, they have a lot of French riders. However, beating Cofidis at BJ... Um, AJ Tour that have a lot of uh, 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 more French riders than they do, uh, and beating them uh, for the national champions jersey, uh, and have I think yeah I think it just shows how good he is right now, uh, and then yeah in the Dauphiné he was climbing real well as well so um, I already had my eye on him, but I don't know if he's gonna go for GC but he's definitely gonna be going either for GC or the polka dots. So he's the man to watch, I think. How would you say the atmosphere is in the Trek Segafredo team with just a couple days left? You guys calm, collected, excited, nervous? What, what's what's the feeling? Uh, I think we're we're all pretty excited. Um, Richie has been getting better and better. He uh, he was a little bit sick in the beginning of the year, but now he's uh, he's on the upswing um, and just getting the. Like, yeah, I haven't raced with Jasper, so I'm pretty excited about that. It's been a while uh, since I've raced with him. And, yeah, getting all the all the guys together, having uh, having some fun on the TTT bikes in the beginning uh, of this week. And then finally, I, th- I mean, you spend a lot of time before the tour just in the hotel. So I think by the time we roll out on Saturday, uh, everyone's going to be pretty stoked to get this going. Well, that, that's, uh, I think, all I got, Tom. So thanks. Thanks a whole lot for doing this. And, uh, you know, good luck out there on the roads. Ah, no worries. Happy, happy to help. I am sure we'll see you uh, at a race sooner or later. All right. See you out there. Have a good one.
That was Tom Scoinch, Trek Segafredo, making his second Tour de France start this year. He, of course, wore the polka dot jersey a little bit last year, and uh, he's the kind of guy who might might be going after that, at least to wear it for a couple of days again this year on some of these intermediate kinds of stages. Uh, yeah, I think Richie Port's got a real chance. I think he's got a good team around him. Uh, Adam Yates, another guy who really could take a huge step forward here. Uh, Simon, his brother, has won a Grand Tour, looked great at last year's Giro until things all fell apart. Adam hasn't quite had that success, but he has been given the nod to be the team's leader at the Tour de France with Simon as his domestique. Uh, and he has looked great this year, has Adam, uh, in the one-week races. And I think he just needs to kind of put it all together. Yeah, they, they seem to ride together pretty well. Um, That's true. It's, it's pretty cool to see, I think. Like some out of a, you know, epic poem or something. Two twins <laughs> out there battling, communicating mentally almost. Yeah, and with Yates, uh, I, I think, I, I don't think there's any, you know, reason to believe that he can't put it together over the three-week race. Uh, he was He's fourth, fourth yeah. at the Tour a couple of years ago. And I think just with the form, yeah, I, I like his chances here. Another guy is, who's, had, who's shown form in the past is, is Nairo Quintana. It's, you know, if, if you'd hopped in a time machine in like 2013 and just woke, just come out of the time machine right now, you'd be wondering how many Tours de France Nairo Quintana had won. And the answer is still zero. Uh, he's, he's a guy who's shown tremendous ability, just absolutely, you know, almost, you know, up there with maybe Froome can match him on his best days climbing. And hasn't really had it all come together since those kind of first early bursts. He was pretty young too. It's hard. You've been hearing about him since 2013, but the guy is still, he's only 29. Like he's got plenty of good years left. Uh, my concern may kind of be more around his team because Movistar, they're doing that thing they always do that never works out except at the Giro this year where it did work out. Yeah. I think that's such an interesting storyline because for year after year, we talk about Movistar coming in with this multiple leader approach. Usually it was Alejandro Valverde, Nairo Quintana. Last year they added Mikel Landa, so there was this three-headed monster approach. It did not go well for them at the Tour last year. And then headed into the Giro this year, they brought another three-headed monster, and they won the thing. And it looked like it was just perfectly executed throughout the entire race. So I think if you're Movistar, you're thinking, all right, well, clearly it can work. Let's do it again. Did they change DSs or something? Was there, do you, is there any change you know of that you could point at? Yep, they did bring in Max Siandri this year. Um, I don't know if he's to be credited with, with winning the Grand Tour or what, but uh, yeah, I think they they have re- probably have renewed confidence in their ability to to put together a Grand Tour victory because of what they did at the Giro and and we should mention that the, we talked about altitude in the in the course profile. Nairo Quintana is born and raised at altitude. You know, this is this is his jam, so to speak. Yeah, I think Mikel Landa also pretty good at altitude. Um, I, I am a little bit more confident in Quintana's chances having. With Mikelanda having ridden the Giro, uh, but of course, by the way, we can't leave out Alejandro Valverde, who has just said this week that he's thinner than he's ever been, and he looks quite strong uh, right now. When does he never? When does he not look strong? It's ages. Uh, he should. He should. Well, except for the hair. The, that, that's that's true. Hope he's not listening. Uh, yeah, <laughs> could have a chance. Even uh, Alejandro Valverde in his advanced age. This is such an open tour. Who knows? Um, two guys who. You can't seem to be mentioned without each other. Roman Bardet and Thibaut Pinot. They're, they're, they're the two French hopes to win the Tour de France uh, of the moment. Uh, they've both been featured in a lot of pre-tour uh, French magazine cover hype. Both of them 
not quite performing to what we've expected in the past. Uh, I, I think it's kind of interesting to point out there that they're actually kind of different riders. Bardet is maybe the purer climber at this point in his career and has had better results. Thibaut Pinot has become a more well-rounded time trialist, but has not quite turned that into three-week success in the last couple of years. Uh, both guys, though, could finally put it together. Who knows? Again, it's the most open year. This is probably their best chance. I like A guy who I like in these sort of open racing scenarios is Vincenzo Nibali of Bahrain Merida. He's, he's definitely kind of in the fall of his career, but he's He's a really smart racer. He's canny. I think he contributed a lot to Movi Star's win in the Giro just because he was trying to work off their, off the way they were racing and move himself up the GC. He's definitely not as strong as he was when he won this race five years ago, but he's a guy who can really take advantage of a race situation, kind of smell things out. He's got a pretty good team around him too. Rohan Dennis, always a threat in time trials. Uh, so yeah, I, you know, he's a guy I like just like to watch race. Rigoberto Oran. Was second at the tour two years ago, has not quite uh, lived up to that same success recently. He's a guy that really needs uh, a strong result here, I think, uh, to, to prove something, to prove that he still has it. Uh, leads a good team with TJ Van Garderen, and uh, I, I think EF has had a nice year so far, so maybe that will translate into Uran having success here. But he does he does kind of lead the, the best of the rest category here, as opposed to kind of being one of those top five kind of guys. Uh, some other names to look at, Enric Moss. Ilner Zakarin, Stephen Kreuswick, Wilco Kelderman, and uh, UAE team members with Dan Martin and Fabio Aru. Aru coming back from uh, a long injury layoff or health layoff as he had uh, an iliac artery surgery. Uh, Martin, always good for a top 10, it seems, in the last couple of years. Uh, maybe maybe he'll do something better this year with the lack of time trialing in the open field. We'll see. Uh, that's the GC picture, more or less. We mentioned the sprinting field pretty similarly wide open and interesting. A bit of a void with Kittle and Cav not here, with Greipel kind of entering his twilight years. Uh, Fernando Gaviria also missing the race because he is still dealing with some knee injury issues. So you have Dylan Grunewagen, Elia Viviani, and I think Caleb Ewan are, are probably your three big headliners in the pure sprinter department. Maybe any one of those guys could step up to be the guy that wins multiple stages of this year's tour. But there really isn't any one top clear favorite heading in. Uh, Grunewagen, I think, expected to be that guy, but hasn't really had that same success we'd expected of him after a strong 2018. Uh, and then you have this kind of second tier of Alexander Kristoff, Giacomo Nizzolo, uh, aforementioned Greipel. Maybe they're good enough for a stage win, uh, but I don't know that any, any of them is actually as fast as, you know, Peter Sagan, who is in the hunt for a record-breaking seventh Green jersey. Uh, I expect him to win multiple stages just because of this field and because of the route and because he's Peter Sagan and he kind of always does uh, something at the Tour de France. Uh, he has a couple of other contenders, though, I think, for maybe not necessarily the green jersey because he just seems so good at it. But some of these hillier stages. Well, you know, <laughs> this, there's this other guy that won a green jersey not too long ago who's on the start list today. Um, yeah, uh, Ma- Michael Matthews is, he's always kind of floating around under the surface waiting to surprise you and make you look silly when you're making race predictions. Uh, but apparently has a, an extended contract. He's, he's fit. And this is the kind of racing, this kind of like medium Bergs thing. It also plays well for Sagan. I think these hills will take the edge off the other pure sprinters legs much more than they will off a guy like Matthews. Maybe even more for Sagan than Matthews. We'll see. 
One other guy that I think fits into this category who I'm really excited to watch this year, Wout Van Aert. Uh, he can sprint, he can time trial, he can do some climbing very similarly to Michael Matthews and Peter Sagan for that matter. And I think and I hope he challenges both of them on some of these lumpier but still flattish kinds of stages where the purer sprinters are out of the picture. Uh, I think Watt Van Aert is really a guy to watch even in his debut Tour de France with Jumbo Visma. Uh, another battle that could be interesting to watch and it usually is, to be honest. Uh, the King of the Mountains classification doesn't get a lot of hype before the race. I feel like it just kind of falls by the wayside as people talk about the battle for yellow and the battle for green. But Julian Alaphilippe made it pretty fun to watch last year. Warren Barguil looks pretty strong heading into the race this year. The Giro d'Italia King of the Mountains winner, Giulio Ciccone, is here. That's I mean, there's a potential for a, a guy to win the King of the Mountains classification in back-to-back races. That in and of itself is pretty cool. Uh, I also, I'm kind of liking, maybe not for the actual mountains classification, but for some of these breakaway mountains days where the KOM guys are out there. Max Schachmann is a guy to watch for Bora Hansgrohe. He had a great early season and just won the German national title. Uh, just a name to throw out there for some of those, uh, like the stage into gap. Um, he's going to be one of the guys that's going to be making that kind of stage interesting. And again, I think, you know, it's not all about the yellow jersey of this race. Uh, if, if you really want to enjoy the Tour de France, you have to love the battle for the stages. So you've got to embrace some of these guys. And, uh, yeah, Julien Philippe having the strong year he's had makes it easy to embrace these kinds of stages and those kinds of riders. All right, let's make some overall predictions for the yellow jersey. Who you got? I think it's really hard to pick against Egan Bernal, even even with the uncertainty there. I, like I said earlier, I think... I think Thomas is going to play an ideal teammate role, and if nothing happens to Bernal, I think he's going to take this. His team is too good, too experienced. Uh, there's lots of other guys I'd love to see on the podium. I I really like how Full Song has been riding, but again, I kind of agree with you. Maybe not that that strong experience. So I'm actually going to give Richie Port the second place on this. I think this is his this is his year to do as good to show everybody that he can do as good as we think he can do. And then I'm going to put uh, Nibali in third because again, he's got that ability to ride well in an open race. I'm going to put Bernal and Thomas both on my final podium. Uh, I think they're both that good. I'm going to put Thomas as my uh, Tour de France winner. I think for me, the experience is going to come in handy. And uh, I think as a as a climber in the high mountains, his ability is a little bit underrated. Uh, I think he's perfectly capable of climbing with the very best in the world and doesn't get enough credit for that. Uh, I do think Egan Bernal should be right up there. So it's not like I, I have an easy choice here. Uh, so I'll just put them both on the podium. And I'm going to put Adam Yates as my third podium finisher. I like the way he's ridden so far this year. I think this could be the year that he steps up and finishes finally inside that top three. All right, let's talk about the first 10 stages. Just do some quick lightning speed picks here. Uh, all right, stage one of the Tour de France. Grunewagen. <laughs> cool, it's a sprint stage. And I kind of agree with you. That That's easy. So, uh, Grunewagen, day, day one. Stage two, team time trial. Hmm. I like Ineos for this one. I'm going to switch it up and go with Sunweb. Uh, stage three, a little bit hillier. Some of the uh, Ardennes climbs in here. Uh, I think it's a perfect day for Peter Sagan. I like Julian Alaphilippe. Stage four, there's a late category four climb. Uh, short, sweet, and then a downhill finale. I kind of like Matthews for this. I'm going to go with Sagan, but I also like Matthews. Stage five is where things get interesting. We kind of skirt the Vosges Mountains a little bit before actually getting into them on stage six. Uh, I like Julian Alaphilippe for this stage. I think there's a chance for him to get away on one of these late climbs. I like. I think Julian Alaphilippe's going to get the points, but I think this is going to come back together for a reduced sprint won by Michael Matthews. 
Stage six, the La Plage de Belle Fille finish. It does have that little gravel sting in the tail, as British commentators like to say. It's a tough little climb. Um, you know, I'm going to go with Aegon Bernal for this one. I'm also going to go with Bernal. Stage seven, 230K. Do we really need this one? Uh, probably a sprint finish. Let's go with Elia Viviani for this one. Go with Grunewagen. Stage eight's a really hilly one. This could be a breakaway kind of day. Uh, it looks pretty interesting from the profile here. Uh, it's just probably going to break up uh, any potential for a sprint. Let's go with Thomas DeGent. I'm going to I'm gonna go with a little Vincenzo Nibali action here. Stage nine, another downhill finish. Um, yeah, this is a tough one to pick. Uh, it's a steep little late climb here and then a downhill finish. Uh, let's go with Warren Bargill. I'm going to go with Bernal. Uh, stage 10, the last day before the first rest day, probably a sprinter's finish. Uh, it's been a long, long first 10 days. I'm going to go with Caleb Ewan for this one. I like Caleb Ewan. All right, that's it. That's first 10 stages. Uh, we'll know so much more about where the race stands when we come back for our second show, at which point we can, you know, revise our podium picks. Uh, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll kind of take a look, look at where the race is and what's next and then do this again. We'll do stage by stage picks for the next block of racing. But until then, hope you have a chance to watch the Tour de France, of course, and enjoy the Tour de France. Uh, this has been the Recon Ride. I'm Dan Cash. And I'm Cosmo Catalano. And that's our show. 